Welcome to the Fueling the Future podcast, where we get to the bottom of global trends, issues, and developments in future fuels. Are you looking for real insight and analysis from the industry's top experts? Are you trying to stay ahead of the curve and read the tea leaves? Then you're in the right place. My name is Tammy Klein, and with me today is Stephen Holland. He's an associate professor in the Department of Economics at the Bryan School of Business and Economics at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. Um, You have a really lengthy and distinguished um, bio. Um, And before we get into the study, can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, your work, and then also um, about the study um, that I want to talk to you about today. And it's something I've covered in the blog about um, electric vehicles. And first of all, Stephen, welcome to the program. Thanks. It's great to be here. Just to start off, to talk a little bit about me, um, I, yeah, I'm an environmental economist, so I've been interested in these kind of issues for years, and in particular, uh, electricity. So I've done um, – well, actually, part of what got me into this was I've done some work on real-time pricing and thinking about how pricing of electricity um, could have different environmental effects because electricity – Use differs throughout the day, and that means that different power plants are responding at different times. They're going to have different um, environmental benefits at different times. Um, so that's a little bit of the background got me into thinking about, about electric cars. So can you talk a little bit about the study that you and some other colleagues recently um, completed on um, electric vehicles? The, the work I'd done on real-time pricing, the environmental benefits of real-time pricing of electricity, um, was with a colleague named Aaron Manser. And then I was working with another colleague, Andy Yates, um, at University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill um, on some other projects. And Andy and I started talking about electric cars and their benefits. Um, and we realized that the environmental effects of electric cars are really difficult to measure because – well, if, when you have a gas vehicle, um, it's pretty clear where the, the tailpipe is and where those emissions are, are, are going, or at least coming from. And with electric cars, uh, there's no tailpipe. Um, so that doesn't mean that they have no emissions. The electricity that's generated causes emissions. It's just that it's at power plants, um, which are very far away or can be very far away. They can be close by or can be far away. Um, and so we need some way of, of figuring out what that kind of long tailpipe looks like. Um, and we realized that the framework that Aaron and I had had developed earlier um, could be modified to um, estimate the emissions from electric vehicles. And the problem with just that framework is that that tells us about the emissions from the electric vehicles, but it doesn't tell us anything about how to compare the different emissions, so how to compare particulate emissions with CO2 emissions with sulfur emissions. And for that, we needed another uh, model, and that was delivered by our fourth co-author, Nick Mueller, at um, Middlebury College. And he has uh, a model that turned out to be perfect for um, analyzing this question. So it was really the combination of these two sets of models that, that really enabled us to address this question about the environmental benefits of electric cars in a way that other people hadn't been able to. So I want to ask you about 
sort of the response uh, to the study? I mean, as you know, there are very strong proponents out there in government and in the NGO community that are pushing hard for zero emission vehicle policy. So that's both incentives and mandates uh, to support these vehicles uptake. So my first question is, what has been the response to the study from the supporters, from these kinds of supporters, because I think I, I at least haven't seen anyone come up with uh, some of the, the the analysis and conclusions that your team has. Um, and second, isn't the response from these advocates? Would you expect they just say, "Well, you know, this is our this is another incentive to uh, green the grid away from coal and natural gas"? So part of what motivated this was the the fact that. It is such a tough question, and and people tend to have strong prior beliefs about the, the benefits of um, electric vehicles. And so that's what really got us looking into this. We didn't really know what we were going to find when we started this because no one had really looked at it in this way before. Um, so we were really able to combine these econometric models to estimate the emissions of the power of electric vehicles um, with these other models valuing the damages. So maybe I, I should just go into a little bit before I answer the specific question, just go into a little bit more of what we do actually find in our, in our paper. We first have to do is, is we first develop kind of a conceptual framework to think about this. And what we really determine here is that the key is uh, in, when we're thinking about the environmental benefit of an electric car, it's really about getting a gas car off the road. So if there's going to be any benefit from an electric vehicle, it has to come from getting a gas car off the road. Um, so we develop a simple model that allows us to just be explicit about the assumptions we're making. But uh, the bottom line of the model is that we're going to be calculating the benefit of the electric car as effectively the, the avoided emissions. So how much were the emissions of the gas car relative to the emissions of the electric car that would be taking its place? And so what we also realized was that a lot of people had looked at um, carbon dioxide, so had looked at CO2 emissions, but hadn't looked at kind of the whole suite of other pollutants that also come out of either the tailpipe of a car or um, out of the the smokestack of a power plant. Um, so we really wanted to look at the whole suite of emissions and really focus in on, on this um, issue of the, the transport of the pollution and to the home, and then the trade-off between the electric car and the gas car. So what we did was we, we looked in each county and said, okay, what are the damages from a gas vehicle? So there are published studies of what kind of emissions are coming out of the tailpipe of a gasoline vehicle. And so we just use those to estimate what are the, the emissions from driving, up, let's say, one mile, the gasoline car. And we did the same calculation for each county in the U.S. And then we had to ask, well, what are the problems caused by those pollution, those emissions, and how do we value those? So that's where um, Nick Mueller's models come in in that those models build up a framework in which the pollution is first transported by air 
air movements, movements in air, air currents, um, and very complicated air chemistry um, that leads us to, to have a model of deposition. So where are those pollutants actually going from our gas? And then once you do that, you have all these different dose responses that you can have. So you might have asthma in one place or COPD, chronic pulmonary disease, in another location, and with these different effects caused by these different pollutants. And so how do we, can we evaluate all these different effects, including to things like um, visibility or um, to agriculture? What economists typically do is, is aggregate those to dollar value. So that's what um, mixed models do, is tell us what is the dollar value from an emission of a certain amount of a pollutant at a certain location. So that model allows us to calculate the damages in dollars from driving a mile of a gasoline vehicle at each location in the U.S. Um, and these can, can vary um, quite dramatically across the U.S. Um, just in our calculations, it was almost like four cents a mile in locations like Los Angeles. So that's the gasoline car damages. What about the electric car side? If we knew which power plants were responding when I plug in my electric car, um, then we could easily um, use Nick's model to evaluate those emissions and those damages. The problem is that when I plug in my electric car in Guilford County, North Carolina, there's no way to know which power plants are responding. It's certainly not the nearest power plants. It's not just power plants in North Carolina because electricity flows across state lines. Um, it could potentially be any power plant in the eastern half of the United States. So what we do to overcome this problem is we use statistical techniques to estimate which power plants are responding to changes in load in different regions throughout the U.S. So we, it's, it's a very complicated statistical problem, but once we do that, we can estimate then the damages from charging an electric vehicle at any location in the U.S. So for each county, we're able to calculate the damages, again, per mile from driving an electric car. Once we've now calculated the, the damages from the gasoline vehicle and the damages from the electric vehicle, it's just a matter of subtraction to figure out which one is, is better. What we found that was really interesting is there are four kinds of places. You can, they're kind of the four extremes. And I'll illustrate those with four cities. Um, the first one is Los Angeles. In Los Angeles, it turns out to be really harmful to drive a gas car in Los Angeles. Why is that? Um, there's a lot of people in Los Angeles. It's a horrible airshed. It's surrounded by mountains. So that pollution all gets trapped in Los Angeles and causes a lot of harm. What happens when you plug in? On the other hand, what happens when you plug in your electric car in Los Angeles? Well, power plants respond. But many of those power plants are not in the L.A. air basin. So there's a winner already in getting that pollution out of those heavily populated areas in the L.A. air basin. Um, and also the western grid turns out to be much cleaner um, than, for example, the eastern. 
So it turns out in our analysis that the electric cars are a big winner in a place like Los Angeles. Um, if you add them up kind of over the lifetime of the car, there would be about $5,000 per vehicle in environmental benefits from electric car in Los Angeles. That doesn't hold throughout the country. It's useful to look at, at New York, New York City. Another, you might think that's similar to Los Angeles. And the gas car side turns out to be pretty similar. Again, um, when you drive a gas car in New York City, it has very high damages, about the same as on uh, a little bit lower than, New, than Los Angeles, but about the same. Just because of all the people there who are harmed and the high level of pollution all day. The difference is what happens when you plug in your electric car in New York City. And the problem is now that many of those power plants that respond are coal-fired power plants, so relatively dirty power plants. And not only that, these power plants are in locations uh, like Pennsylvania, where, which are also heavily populated, and some of that pollution blows straight back to New York. So what we find in a big city like, like New York City is that Electric vehicles are basically a wash. Our calculations give them a slight negative, but basically it's a zero. So New York has high damages of both, um, so there's not a, a clear winner. Um, on the negative side, if you think about a place like um, in a city in North Dakota um, or in Minnesota, some of those uh, the, driving the gas car there doesn't cause a lot of harm in our calculations, mainly because there aren't a lot of people there and it's relatively unpolluted already. Whereas plugging in an electric car can lead to pollution, leads to power plants to respond. Some of those are coal-fired power plants in Illinois. So, for example, if you're driving an electric car in North Dakota, where thankfully there aren't a lot of electric cars, you're potentially exporting pollution to Chicago, causing much more. So this is kind of the main result of the paper, is this incredible um, variance in the environmental benefits of electric cars based on, on where they are. So if we come back to the to the the questions, well, actually, the first thing I would say is that's what I found really fascinating. And by the way, I used to live in North Dakota. <laughs> I can attest that I, I don't think there are many Teslas uh, or Leafs uh, floating around in uh, in in Bismarck. But I do live in Florida, and um, and that's what I thought was so interesting is how the high degree of variation depending on of benefit of driving an electric vehicle depending on where you are in the country. And I live in Florida and I was surprised um, because I think if I, if I recall, and I don't have the study in front of me, I think Florida is another area where um, there's really not much benefit um, at this time that the study found for driving um, an electric vehicle. And I do know many people. I know a number of people who, you know, very proudly and, you know, just bought their first electric vehicle. <laughs> After I did the, read the study and did the post, I was, I, you know, they, they're showing it off and I kind of sitting there nodding and, oh, that's wonderful and that's great. And I don't really know what to say because the purchase has been made. And I mean, I guess you could say that they're, they're forerunners uh, for, you know, for whatever the future holds for, for electric vehicles, those, those first um, a wave of, of early second adopters, uh, if you will. 
I've heard this a bunch too. Um, you know, that, that we need the grid to be becoming cleaner. We need to have people adopting. And this is something that we're currently really interested in working on. Um, is thinking about, yeah. So, so what we see actually in is that uh, the grid is becoming clean. Um, so over time, the grid, you know, there's been a, a lot of coal fired fire power plants retiring and um, being replaced with gas, which is much cleaner. Um, so the grid on average is becoming cleaner and there's a lot more renewables than there were before. So the grid's becoming cleaner. Problem is gasoline cars have also been becoming Exactly. Super clean, super clean. And there's a lot more potential there too, I think. So we're actually, one of the projects we're kind of just starting now, which we're very excited about, is first of all, trying to run that horse race and see, okay, you know, who is kind of winning in this horse race? Is it the, is it the gas cars that are becoming cleaner or is it, is it electric cars and how close are electric cars getting to gas cars and you kind of can we down, you know, just predict a crossover. But then the second part, you know, potentially the more interesting part of that question is, you know, should we actually be adopting these cars earlier, even though they're currently dirtier um, than, than the gas cars? And we, we, we're having trouble getting our heads around this issue. But it does seem that there are a couple of reasons for going ahead and doing that. Um, what we've found thus far is that just the fact that it takes time to turn over the fleet may in itself be a justification for adopting electric vehicles ahead of the time when they're actually cleaner than gas vehicles. So your friend in Florida, because they're going to hold on to that car for you know, 10 years, let's say, over the life of that car, it may actually be um, a benefit. So that may be one justification for going ahead and adopting and supporting adoption of electric vehicles before the grid actually gets there. The other reason might be something like learning by doing. So as we build these cars, we've rapidly seen the cost fall down. Uh, in batteries, for example, the battery costs are, are falling. Um, just by, by building them. So this story is typically called learning by doing. And so there might be um, policy justifications for adopting these cars while they're still slightly dirtier than the gasoline cars, um, just based on the learning by doing. Also, there's a chicken and egg problem. Um, we currently have plenty of gas stations, so nobody worries about running out of gas, um, but we don't have electric charging stations. So do we need to have public policy to support charging stations so that having charging station makes um, electric vehicle adoption more attractive, but there's no point in building a charging station until there's um, electric vehicle adoption. So which comes first, the charging station is this other, other question. So there may be scope for public policy um, to uh, uh, encourage adoption based on these network externalities is what we call it. But that's, so these are all things that we're looking at currently. I can't You'll have to have me back in a year or so. 
I I would actually, and I'm I'm especially interested in what you're looking at with respect to the internal combustion engine and the the efficiencies that in the technology developments that we're seeing there versus the technology. De- I mean, that's just the the biggest question that everybody has, and everybody has a prognostication out there about who's going to win the race or which which um, vehicle is going to win the race. And um, many are coming down on the side of electric vehicles, but many of those are coming from proponents who really want to see that future happen. And I'm not so sure that there's not more that that can be done. I mean, I I have no doubt in my mind that. We are going to see more and more electric vehicles on the road, um, especially within the the next 10 years. We're going to see more and more people uh, get comfortable with them, adopt them. The infrastructure is is going to continue to build out, especially in the in the larger cities. You know, I see all of those those things happening, but I also wouldn't dismiss what can be done with the the internal combustion engine. Also, so I'm I'm very very intrigued um, about what uh, you guys might find about that. You know, the other argument that that you're talking about also is with respect to infrastructure. The more people who own these vehicles and who are buying these vehicles, that also I think gives more of a, a political push anyway to to green the grid. I mean, it sort of pushes pushes the grid. Do you think that that's the case also? There's this kind of feedback between the adoption of, of electric vehicles. And uh, the, the cleanliness of the grid. When I first started talking about this project, a friend said to me, but we have to go electric because it's the only way to get to zero. At least in theory, you can have um, zero carbon from electric vehicles where there's no way to have zero carbon from gasoline vehicles. There's another um, dimension, though, on which um, electric – and we don't go into this – well, we do a little bit. On which electric vehicles can be superior to gasoline vehicles. And we've kind of seen this with Volkswagen. It's sort of easier to monitor a small number of power plants than it is to monitor millions of tailpipes on gasoline vehicles. So the fact that they are actually zero emissions at the vehicle level does have a certain advantage in that you can monitor power plants fairly easily to make sure they're complying with emissions regulations. Whereas in order to have clean gasoline vehicles, there are lots and lots of potential chinks in the, in the chain or weak links in the chain. We have to have refineries producing very clean gas. Um, and then we have to have emission systems on cars that are properly maintained and burning that fuel cleanly. Um, they have to have clean fuel from start to finish. Um, all these things uh, just make the a little bit more difficult for gasoline vehicles. But again, these are huge advantages with internal combustion. Hundreds of years' experience with them. You just can't find a denser fuel source that's more energy dense than gasoline. Think about it. As you drive your gasoline car and the tank gets empty, it gets lighter. Um, so it goes further. Uh, whereas when your electric vehicle's battery gets empty, it's exactly the same weight. Um, and they're quite heavy, which can lead to additional roads emissions. So 
Uh, it's it's an interesting trade off. It, it it can go both ways in so many dimensions, which is part of what makes it fun to study. I think in transport, you know, I've been working in this in this area um, of of fuels uh, policy, vehicles policy for about twenty years now, and I think. There's always this temptation to, you know, to grab onto a silver bullet that's going to fix transport because there's, it's, it's not like, I mean, what you say is so true with respect to, with respect to power plants. I mean, they're clear, they're stationary. I mean, literally stationary <laughs> there. It, you know, they can be monitored. They can, you know, all of these kinds of things. But with respect to, uh, to vehicles, I mean, you're talking about people's, personal mobility, personal freedom, personal transport, and then they drive cars all types of different ways, which may not be the most um, efficient. They may or they may not care for their for their vehicles, which introduces all kinds of, um, you know, all kinds of uh, issues with respect to both fuel economy and e- emissions. So it really isn't easy. But I th- and I think in, in the transport side, the temptation is to just sort of grab onto a policy solution um, as, you know, well, this is our silver bullet that's going to fix everything. And what I have noticed and experienced um, myself is that that's really not the case. There's not going to be one solution. It's all, always going to be. And, that, and I think electric vehicles have been looked at as sort of that silver bullet that will allow for people to maintain their personal you know, mobility, personal freedom. But I, I think that there's going to be trade-offs, just as you say, for, um, you know, for electric vehicles, as there are for gasoline vehicles, as there are for, for diesel vehicles, as there are for, for hydrogen uh, fuel cell vehicles. It's not going to be, um, you know, there's not going to be a perfect solution. Uh, that's a classic, you know, economist statement of no free lunches. There are trade-offs involved. Uh, everywhere here, um, you know, and uh, and also what may work in in one um, location may not work in another location. For example, you could easily imagine a, a very well functioning fleet of self driving cars in New York City, or uh, self driving electric cars in New York City, or in Los Angeles, uh, where they're actually doing a bunch of good, but not in um, North Dakota or rural Iowa. So you know, again. The, the, what we, what I think we need is smart policies that are responsive and encourage adoption where it's appropriate. And, you know, don't forget about gas vehicles either. You know, we need to continue to make progress there as well. And we can. So I want to go back to my earlier question, which is, have you, um, has the team received any feedback from government or from um, NGOs um, on the study. And since you're talking about policies, well, let me just ask one question at a time. We'll start with that one and then I'll go to the next one. There haven't been any kind of major discussions with with policymakers. There haven't been kind of big changes uh, to policy. Um, There are some little things that um, like that are surprisingly costly, like the way that electric vehicles are treated under the CAFE standards, namely they get a, a huge boost um, that are probably okay for now, but as EV adoption becomes more common, are probably going to be bigger questions that are going to have to be addressed more. Um, but I think, you know, certainly 
our type of analysis is being noticed and is, is we're not the only ones doing this. And, and I think the real difference is that there are calculators at EPA, for example, that will just look at the electricity generated within your state. I think that the people are realizing that, you know, admitting now that that's just wrong. Um, you need to go beyond the states where you're located when you're talking about electricity. I wouldn't claim that our work has had direct impacts on policy, but I think this, this broader push of more carefully um, assessing the environmental benefits of electric vehicles is, is certainly having an impact and, and policymakers are, are listening. I think that's a that's a good thing. I mean, if I were the the Cal- California Air Resources Board, though, I would be feeling kind of vindicated by this study <laughs> because it really showed for the California for Californians, you know, this is a good solution. The zero emission vehicle program is, you know, as you know, you know, sort of legendary um, in its um, development. I mean, when I was starting my career, there was talk about zero emission um, vehicles. So that program has been um, a long time in um, development and um, promulgation. So if I look at your study and I work for the California Air Resources Board and I um, live through the um, zero emission vehicle, um, all of that uh, development, I would be feeling rather pleased. Um, but, you know, if I were a policymaker, you know, maybe in some of the Northeast states that are looking to follow um, California, I don't know. I would be, uh, I don't know if this is going to happen, if, if um, policymakers will do this, but I would be doing a double take because I'd be wondering um, what, what the benefits are. And I think the thing that's interesting about the study is particulate matter, which um, was something that the team really, really looked at. I mean, that is, in terms of transport, I think one of the biggest issues right now. And um, it's huge. I mean, it's it may well end up driving diesel in passenger cars anyway out of existence because there's just not a great way to get a handle on particulate matter and then nitrogen oxides and, you know, and then, you know, maintain fuel efficient, you know, all of those kinds of things. We're seeing that in Europe. But particulate matter is, especially PM 2.5, I mean, that is a major, major health issue. I mean, it's almost on the order of lead um, in gasoline. And so hopefully um, folks are paying attention to that because that's that's huge. And there are particulate matter non-attainment areas in those northeast states. I don't know if you have any any commentary on that, but one would hope people would be looking at what you guys had to say about that. So the Clean Air Act uh, has led to this focus on is my county in attainment of air quality standards, which means there's a big focus. And if you're not in attainment, then you need to do something to improve the air quality in your airshed. The problem with that approach is it leads to attempts to solve solutions locally that may have broader impacts. So, for example, what we find is that I'll use Atlanta as an example. Um, there, the cars are you know, kind of a, a slight loser overall. So electric vehicles cause slightly more harm than they, they have benefits. But the, the, the issue is that those gasoline cars cause damages directly in Atlanta, whereas the electric vehicles 
are causing damages in over a much broader area up here in North Carolina. So from Atlanta's perspective, those electric vehicles are reducing emissions within Atlanta, even though if you take the broader nationwide perspective, they're not doing they're not so potentially even small. So under the current regulatory framework, Atlanta has an incentive to encourage electric vehicles in order to benefit their own local air quality, even though that's potentially harming air quality elsewhere. So this was the, the, the long tailpipe rears its ugly head again. Um, you see that it caused potentially other problems with the incentives that local regions face in order to try and improve their own local air. So last question um, before we conclude. Um, what even though this the study focused on the US, what do you think um, if anything it says or what it could mean for other jurisdictions like Europe or like China that are following in this this direction? I mean they're setting policies, they already have policy incentive policies, many European countries do, and China does uh, to incentivize electric vehicle uptake. And China is also looking at putting into place a mandate, not unlike uh, California's. And the thing that's so interesting is many cities in Europe, and we know the the air quality issues with with uh, with China. You know, they're really really not good. So, what can be learned or extrapolated from from this study? What can it mean for other jurisdictions? Unfortunately, what we really need is kind of the models that we have in the U.S. for both. Europe and for China in order to need to be able to say anything. We just don't have those models, unfortunately. Uh, maybe someone will see our study and, and, and work on that in, in Europe and or China or India for that matter. Interestingly, I mean, they both have very similar problems. Um, Europe is slightly different because there they've gone in with diesel and hoping for cleaner diesel and just not being able to realize that. There could be potential benefits from electric cars just because the diesel cars in Europe are relatively dirty. So getting those off the road could have some benefits. Um, and the grid is, is not horribly dirty. I, but, you know, I, I can't say anything because I really don't have estimates. In China and in India, air quality in the cities is pretty, pretty bad. Um, so getting, doing almost anything to improve the air quality in, in Beijing would be a good thing. The problem, again, though, is the grid in, in China is becoming cleaner, um, but currently has a lot of coal as well and not necessarily uh, modern. They, I don't have the data again, so I shouldn't go say too much. But the, the problem, again, there is going to be, is the grid going to be cleaner? So I see potential in both Europe and in in um, in China for kind of different reasons, but really, you know, we really need these models that we have um, to, to in order to say something. All right, so we will end it there. That's the show. Uh, thanks so much for listening. I want to thank Stephen so much for being on the show today and for such an interesting discussion. And I do hope your research evolves um, that you'll come back, and we'd love to have you back. Thanks much for having me. So please do us a favor today before you go. Head over to iTunes and rate this podcast. This is huge for us in terms of improving our ranking and keeping the show visible so that other people can see and benefit and discover it. Thanks ahead of time for helping us out. 
The podcast will also be posted on my website, futurefuelstrategies.com. And if you're looking for more insight and analysis on future fuels issues, sign up for my free weekly newsletter at futurefuelstrategies.com. Thanks so much for listening. Mm -hmm.